You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello listeners and welcome to this week's episode and this week I am pleased to say I uh, I am joined by a special guest. We have with us uh, a man whose solo podcasting technique uh, leaves me in absolute awe. It is of course Adam Matcast Christensen. Hello Adam. Hey, how you doing? Ah, we're I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> say I've done a few solo shows and um I find them you know four times more difficult than podcasting with somebody else so your uh, oh yeah for sure your ability to put together a show week after week uh, just you know talking to the mic all on your own it astounds me I have to say <laughs> <laughs> well it, it it comes from uh, it comes out of necessity when when you started podcasting uh, almost 16 years ago um there was nobody to do a show with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And because there were about five of us <laughs> at yeah. the time. So yeah. you kind of developed and honed the technique, you know, because you got a necessity and then it just became a thing. So like when everybody started doing roundtables and, and group shows, I was already, you know, years into a format. And as you probably know, people don't take well to changes in format. No, so. no. People often do. Yeah, people don't like change, and, and that's amazingly interesting for you know um, a community who are basically centered around a very fast-moving tech landscape, <laughs> incredibly resistant to change. Oh dear, there we are. Um, and I'm uh, not only Adam. Uh, Nick is here. Hello, Nick. Hiya. Yeah, good to be back as usual. Yeah, nice to have you again. And Donnie is here for a second week on the trot. Hello, Donnie. Two weeks in a row. Hello. Yeah, well, there we go. There we are. So, um, news of the week is, of course, pretty much all centred around Apple's M1 uh, Macintoshes. Um, and, of course, now they have actually got into people's hands. We're getting speed tests and uh, comparisons and all the rest. So um, I'm going to jump, actually, straight to one of the uh, worth of chirps, which is uh, Geekbench uh, benchmarks, where uh, they have said the M1 destroys all the other Macs in single core. It comes 13th in multi-core score. Um as these are the first of their kind, I think that's pretty good. Thirteenth um, doesn't sound amazing, by the way, but that's because only the Xeon Macs, and by the way, Geekbench spec pretty much every single Xeon Mac there is, both Pros and iMac, um, and I believe the latest 27-inch iMac, which is an 8-core uh, processor, um, beat, beats the M1, um, which means the M1 beats the Trashcan Mac Pro, and the 2020 MacBook Pro 16-inch, and everything else. on And on single core, it thrashes everything, including the mighty Mac Pro, which is, which is um, 
I don't know. Gobsmacking. It's gobsmacking. It's fast. Yeah, it's fast. Well, <laughs> how did we describe it last last week, Nick? I think we said yeah, not just fast, ludicrously fast. You know, um, ludicrous. Yeah, definitely <laughs> something like that. So, um, yeah, I've watched one or two. Uh, I've watched one or two of these. Uh, you know, the YouTube, the mandatory YouTube uh, reviewers reviewing it. Um, there was one in particular I thought was quite good, and he was. Um, uh, it was not a well-known um, podcaster, but he was looking at um, um, you know the video editing software, the professional one. I forget his name because um, I don't use it. Final Cut X or Premiere? Uh, Final or Cut, Premier. yeah. He, he was using Final Cut. Uh, and he was just in, he was impressed initially at the speed at which he could scrub through the video without any kind of stutter or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was, he was impressed. Uh, and, you know, seeing that was obviously, uh, that impressed me because I know that, you know, video editing is the one area where everyone expects it to, uh, to do really well. And it appears to do so. Which is yeah, good, good news um, for everybody. I saw some videos too that where they were doing um, the software and emulation. So like even Adobe software like Photoshop, which isn't even optimized yet, is is running amazingly apparently um, in most cases. Yes, yeah, that's uh, very impressive, isn't it? It is. Yeah. All the all the um, all the stuff I've seen, they're basically saying that even if you're emulating um, and running, you know, the Intel software the speed of the m1 is such that that the sort of 20 percent overhead isn't enough to make it slower than the previous gen macintoshes which is yeah that's some bloody achievement if you want my honest opinion um and i think even uh was it craig federighi said he, he wasn't you know they weren't even expecting that good they've kind of blown them blown their own minds um yeah uh, the the other thing that almost all of them that I watched mentioned was how cool everything was. I mean, I've got my hand at the moment on the top of my Mac Mini, if you'll pardon the expression, and uh, and it's quite warm. And I'm not doing anything very much other than talking to you guys. Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, it, it's how cool it runs, um, even even under stress. That was um, was it John? Was it um, Adam? Might know this one. Was it John Gruber who said that he'd been unable to hear the fan at all even when he was trying to stress it yes, out that, yeah i i don't know if it's specifically gruber but definitely several reviews they talked about that the fan in the 13 inch macbook pro the m1 uh rarely kicks on even uh even yeah. under heavy load which seems to indicate that it's not going to you're gonna have to really push it really really hard um before you do that which is bodes well for the macbook air which has no fan, which means, you know, you can probably, most people are probably going to be able to get away with that model and not even run into thermal throttling or it even slowing down, even, I, even doing significant tasks. I would imagine, you know, mid-level to low, high-level tasks. It sounds like really the 13-inch Pro is, is, is under its, its name, you know, really for Pro people who are really going to absolutely maximize it out fully. Yeah. And that machine, I don't even know, that many people that would fall into that category. I think other pros are going to be waiting for the update to the, to the 16 inch. Yes. Um, I think, or, I think so. you know, an iMac pro or something like that. The, um, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to the fact that, um, I mean, I, at the moment I've been doing quite a lot of streaming and, um, so I've got the six core, the last generation Mac mini, um, and it's fine for 720p, but as soon as I step it, step it up to 1080p, um, 
after about 10 minutes, it starts to struggle a bit because it's just not processing fast enough. So, yeah, I'm quite quite looking forward to having a go with one of these and see if it, it'll probably slaughter that without any problems. At all. The Mini doesn't have a discrete GPU, does it? It doesn't, no. Yeah, no. so it suffers no. from that a little bit, probably. Yes, yes. So, uh, so yeah, that, that'll be good. I'm not about to buy one. I've only bought this a few months ago. But... Uh, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, looking forward to the day when that comes. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I bought a 16-inch MacBook Pro, uh, knowing the new ones were coming out and that likely they weren't going to update the um, the 16-inch. But man, I wasn't expecting the M1s to to be as good as they are, uh, or seeming to be. I think we still have to wait a little bit till people really push them in real-world environments. Yeah, but all yeah. indications at this point are like they're just going to be unbelievable um and it makes me jones and really want want for a <laughs> uh, a 13 inch macbook air i had one um a long time ago and i loved that machine i think it was a 2011 i want to say that's a great form factor that machine i think mm. apple's going to sell a gazillion of those it's it's great for for students going into college you know like all this stuff um i think that's going to be a well well sold machine at the price point and with the functionality i mean you can pretty much get it to do anything at this point it seems like including editing video at a very mid to high level so well even the macbook air i mean <laughs> it's quite amazing that what that can do yeah well um, of course at the minute yeah as we said you know last week and i'm pretty sure adam will, will agree you know if, in effect you've got one chip across the whole line they've got no way to yes. differentiate at the moment they can't say well the pro gets a an m1x or you know an m1 plus or whatever they're all basically the same so that the main difference seems to be with the pro the the fact that it's got a fan and it should be able to sustain you know its maximum output um yeah and let's face it the only people are probably going to need that are people doing video because you're not doing video (laughs) you're just probably just not going to need it i can't i can't remember who i was listening to might have been the verge cast but I, I could be wrong but they were talking on anyway on this podcast whoever they were they were saying that they watched a thing where a guy was comparing the macbook air m1 and the macbook pro m1 and what he did was run um a cinebench benchmark yep repeatedly like over and over and over to see how long it would take for thermal throttling to take hold and I, th- I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think he said it was like three iterations before the MacBook Air throttled down a little bit. And it was like 10 iterations before the MacBook Pro throttled back a little bit. But then he said, <laughs> even under the thermal throttling, they're only, thr- they're only slowing down by about 12 to 15 percent. So, you know, unless you're a pro, that's... <laughs> hardly going to you're probably not even really going to notice unless you actually do that you know where you do something over and over again and go well the first one took five minutes and the tenth one took six you know <laughs> it's crazy yes i'm sure there are i'm sure there are some developers somewhere rubbing their hands together and thinking oh you know all that stuff that we tried to do but it wouldn't work because yeah. it wasn't fast enough <laughs> mm. So it's interesting to see what the software does. Sorry, Dominic. I, I saw a video where some guy, and I don't know if I put it in the Slack or not, he opened all of the um, apps that come in the Mac 
at the same time in the M1 chip, and I don't remember which, it was an Intel chip, I don't remember which one it was. Um, and he opened them all at the same time, and the M1s just opened instantly and were done before some of the ones on the Intel were still bouncing away. And they were all Apple installed <laughs> apps. Yeah. It's a classic uh, open all apps test. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's how they used to show off SSDs when they first came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it is. Um, and... Yeah, I, I like with Adam. Um, I I don't think any of us expected the first Apple Silicon to be such a quantum leap. I think we all knew it was going to be better, you know. Right. But I don't think we expected the sort of, you know, three times faster than your previous machine kind of jump. Um, for the, what the scary as, thing is, what's coming next? Yes. I mean, if this this fast now. I mean, all the other computer companies are probably trying to figure out how can we do this. I mean, mm. what's coming next and what, even what's after that, it's just, it's going to be blowing these Intel machines out of the water. And what was it? So here's uh, an interesting question. So did, did Apple make their graphs purposefully vague to ramp up the, the excitement when people actually got the silicon in their hands? Um, <laughs> I think they made them purposely vague because that's how Apple likes to to do things they just they historically they i mean you can go back to the days when they were fighting for the ibm power pc chips too right they don't like to talk about numbers and specs and because in their mind and i i somewhat agree with this in their mind it doesn't matter like yeah great bench scores are awesome it's a number and we can kind of you know quantitatively compare a number to a number but at the end of the day what really matters is what can you do with these things? And they much prefer to focus on, you know, things like it's X times faster. And, and the reason is, is that they can focus on, look, this is what you're going to experience. This is the, this is the user experience we want to create and define. And that's really what's important. And when you get bogged down in the specs, I mean, look at these things, these things only have, eight and 16 gigs of shared memory. Like historically you hear shared memory, like the CPU sharing memory with the GPU and you're like, oh God, that's gross. Like, why would, why would you want that? That's terrible. Um, yeah. Vampire video these, as we used to call it. Yeah. These things are performing amazing and doing it with a lot less. And we saw this on with the A series chips too, right? They were, <laughs> I mean, uh, Android and you know the other platforms have had to jam in more and more RAM and more and more RAM and and we're always left going how much RAM is in the A A series the next A series and we have to like do X-ray you know technology to figure out what's going on and get the specs but at the end of the day it doesn't matter because those chips are running circles around you know any other mobile chips out there and they're doing it with a lot less so it's just how Apple that, likes to market yes uh, yeah I agree uh, I also. Having said that, Apple did know that everyone was going to run the tests oh, against yeah. the, the chips, obviously, once they were out. That um, was just a thought, you know, uh, seeing seeing how, you know, vague the, you could see they were going to be faster. Uh, and it's almost like they were sort of teasing and saying, yeah, they really are going to be this much faster. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're right on that level, too. I think that, sorry, I think they do prefer, they prefer the world and the media to help sell these things. Yes, to a certain yeah, degree. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good I, don't, I, don't, I don't disagree with you at all. But at the same time, you know, historically, that's just how they've always operated. I, Sorry, I, I think I'm at a cough. Donnie or somebody. Yeah. No, I didn't say anything. All right. I was going to say, um, I, I'm also with that Apple are, you know, 
historically fairly vague when they do those charts. But I think Nick's also right because if you kind <laughs> of say, yeah, look, these are going to be really fast and everybody was going, hmm, Apple made some pretty big claims. Let's see how they stack up. And then when these people put these things on Cinebench and Geekbench and do, you know, real time, we're going to render a 30 minute 4K video and see how fast it is compared to our, you know, Mac Pro with 12 cores or whatever. And then when they come back, they come back and they're like, we're absolutely stunned and amazed. That <laughs> that sells that sells product, I'm sure, a lot more when you get, you know, what are considered to be fairly hard-nosed reviewers going, OMG, I'm blown away. I can't believe how fast this thing is. Um, holds more clout than Apple telling you this is fabulously fast, you know. Um and it just yeah. generates a huge yeah, amount of media splash, you know. And what what better advertising can you have than constant media attention for something that you're not you don't have to pay for, <laughs> you know? From a marketing, it's, it's a bit strange, isn't it? That we um, it's a bit strange in some ways that we get so excited, really, because I mean, what they've done is they've taken computers uh, and an operating system that they've already got, and they've made them faster that's all they've done <laughs> okay they've, they've updated the it's os but that's all they've done. they've just made them faster but we're so excited about it all. yeah only after only after spending you know dozens of years calling and and finding the the best chip designer engineers in the world and oh yeah, yeah, yeah their yeah, labs yeah. and like you have to realize that the years of effort that have gone on behind the scenes uh, with this and it is a pretty pretty amazing achievement and now you've got companies like amd and intel scrambling and scratching their heads i can't even imagine what's going on in in, in their meetings now it's just like no I, they're freaking out they have to be freaking salad out in that sauce because yeah. how are they going to catch up all right well yeah that's right because all they can do is i've get got one in a minute <laughs> i mean the, the one advantage the one advantage they have yeah, the one advantage they have is that Apple's a closed ecosystem and it's a small portion of the market. Um, yeah. And so that's another question is like, are these machines really good enough that Apple grows market share significantly? And mm -hmm. that's a big that's a big question. And I don't know that it matters. It doesn't I matter think, to Apple. But yeah, do we get more switchers now? Are more people start switching because of this? Most, I think the general public, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're just, if they want an Apple, a Mac, they're going to buy a Mac, but it might pull over... Maybe some of the people they lost years ago that went to Windows and said, "This I can't do this on the Mac anymore. Yeah. I need something more powerful. So they might bring people back. But people that are going to buy a Mac, I think, will buy a Mac, whether it's an M1. They don't care what's inside. They don't even know what's inside. They just know how right. much it costs, and it's a Mac. Uh, in, well, in many ways, right? yes. Yeah, absolutely. And in many ways, we're in a very different place, aren't we, to where we were with um, the swap over to Intel. Because... Back in those days, only a limited number of pieces of PC software worked on the Mac. Uh, uh, and these days, everything works on the Mac as well as on a PC. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you buy. It's like, oh, yeah, it's available for Mac, PC, Linux, whatever. And um, tablet. And, and, and on tablets, like, yes, that's right. Uh, right. And um, it's a, So it's a... In many ways, it's a very different place. They're, them swapping over to the M1 is is fantastic, but it's a very different place to swapping over to Intel and gaining market share there. If you sort of, do you see what I'm trying to say? So when, oh, yeah, when, when they were gaining market share there, they were also having to get people to write for that platform, whereas now everyone writes for Mac. So um, 
yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It'll be interesting to see if it does. I, I mean, obviously, the first quarter is going to be big because all, everyone who, who is a fanboy will be trying to buy one of these things. Um, it'll be interesting to see over the next 12 months, two years, how, how it affects them. Well, the other, yeah. I think the other question is, is how much does Intel and the other chip companies care? I mean, they care about, they see the speed and like, oh, we got to do that. But they're also still, all these other Windows computers are still locked into Intel or AMD. And yeah, they're still, they're not, they're not, HP isn't going to make its own chip all of a sudden, I don't think. I mean, who knows, maybe they will. But um, all these other companies are still depending on Intel and AMD and the other chip companies to be their the brains of their computer essentially. Yeah, it depends. It depends on what markets this helps Apple extend into, right? So, if they start gaining market share in some of those higher end business markets like science and technology, mm-hmm. um, research, where they they've had an impact for for years, and I think they that's one of those markets where they've struggled a little bit. Education. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that these are going to become business machines. Although Apple's made some inroads there with with iOS and tablets and iPhones and, and things like that, so it's just a matter of if it starts to encroach on the areas where Intel historically sells systems and machines, you know, then then I think it will. But yeah, you know, at the same time, though, they still have to give the perception that they're keeping up. And if it looks like their processors are, you know half a decade behind in terms of performance, just at least in the media, they're going to get roasted. So they have to care about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people are true. still comparing these things to Intel chips, right, right? right? At the end of the day, and that can't feel good to their marketing teams or their, you know, like it, it makes well, them look if bad. If you go into Best Buy and you say, I want the fastest computer I can get, if the person knows what they're talking about, they'll, po- they'll point them in the direction of a Mac now, probably. Right. Yeah, and uh, I mean, bearing in mind, bearing in mind that Microsoft are very much uh, um, moved across into the business area right. now, where actual raw power of a desktop PC isn't necessary, yeah. uh, and it's all all network computing. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're still going to sell huge amounts into the into business through that, regardless of the power of the machines. But certainly, okay. you know, de- desktop computers, yeah, Apple are going to definitely make an impact there. Here's a question, you know, really, we've heard parallels in VMware say that they are going to work on updating their virtualization software for M1. Now, what's not clear is if they'll be able to run Windows, but let's just hypothetically say they can run Windows and those machines run faster, end up running faster in emulation than uh, Hmm. native machines, you know, running on Intel processors. Yeah, that that would be interesting. That that gets weird too, (laughs) right? Like. Yeah. Wait a minute. So I can buy a Mac and I can literally run virtualization and have better performance, which seems feasible potentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. That would be an interesting Especially world. But I, I think it's still not clear if they can do the translation um, in emulation from the M1, right? I think they've just said they were going to have the software out. I haven't done the research to find out if they're actually saying you'll be able to um, run Windows in, in virtualization on like Parallels or VMware yet. Well, it says, um, so we, there's an article in our notes that says Craig Federighi says Windows can run natively on M1 Macs, but it's really oh, up to Microsoft. Cool. Got it. Well, that's, oh, well that, yeah, that would be Microsoft doing it. Well, that's because at the minute, obviously, there's Windows for ARM um, to support, obviously, their, like their um, 
was it the Surface Pro X? Um, yeah, it's oh, not yeah. very good from what I But understand. it's a cut-down version of Windows 10, yeah. isn't it? It's not the, yeah. Um, but it's, it's complicated because I'm not sure it's actually a cut-down version. It's a different version because there's, there's like, Windows S. What I mean is it hasn't got the fu- yeah. What I meant when I say cut down, I meant it hasn't got the full functionality of Windows Ten. I don't believe. Um, I'm not sure, but we've said it on this show before. Part of the problem is, you know, Microsoft won't go all in. They kind of created this thing, and then they didn't get the app support because it was, a, you know, a minority platform in a minority area of a huge sea of Windows stuff. Um. And the the problem at the minute is you can't you cannot buy Windows for ARM, right? The only the only way you can get hold of a copy of Windows for ARM is to be um, an OEM. Oh uh, yes, and to have it pre-installed. Right, you yeah. uh, you know if 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 I on my Intel MacBook here, if I want if I install you know I've got VirtualBox. If I want to have a Windows machine, I mean, I had a Windows machine. I'm just not running it on this one because it's not, A, I don't really need it, and B, there wasn't really room on the SSD. Um, but I've got a, a full, you know, licensed version of Windows. Um, or if I didn't have, I could go down the shop or go to Amazon and, you know, buy a copy of Windows for whatever price I prepared to pay for it and install it. But I can't do that. There is no ARM Windows that you can buy. You have to be an OEM, which that's partly what yeah. Craig is saying about it's up to it's up to Microsoft. If Microsoft decide right. to um, say, oh well, there's a market for Windows on ARM as a you know a consumer product, they'll start selling it. I have no doubt. Um, yeah, and I've just. Do you know the only type, the only thing I used to use um, uh, Windows emulation for was running something called TaxCalc, which works out your tax at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, but about five years ago, six years ago, they wrote a Mac version, and that was the end of that. I haven't run uh, <laughs> haven't run PC software on my Mac since. Yep, I just need it for uh, web development so I can test things on yeah Microsoft yeah. browsers. That makes sense. You know, yeah, Windows browsers. I mean, um, Parallels, I've just got one here. Parallels and VMware confirm Apple M1 support amid silence from other virtualization. Um, ah, okay. So they're working on it. Yes, they're working yeah, on they're it. Working on it. Um, parallels, at, well, I'm pretty sure that what that at the, at the, um, um, at some point, I know they they demonstrated parallels working on something, but they didn't show Windows. They showed it run virtualizing right. Linux or something else. Something yeah, else. all the Linux, all the Linux variants you can virtualize, and that that's where the big question is: is will they can would they be able to build a version running on M1 that will do like full Windows? Yeah, not really. Seems like be. Um, yeah. Well, we've, we've well, got... particularly if Microsoft haven't got that themselves. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, what we have got in in the in the notes here, by the way, uh, Code Weavers gets Windows apps running on Apple Silicon. Um, that was like Apple Insider. Yep. Um, now, Code Weavers make yep. a product called Crossover, um, and Crossover is basically um, a version of Wine, a, a, a you know a custom built version of Wine, um, which allows you to. Um, well, Wine actually stands for Wine is not an emulator in a typical Linuxy naming convention <laughs> yeah um <laughs> but it, it it translates stuff on the fly 
um, and you can you you could use that for years if you wanted to run um, you know one or two Windows apps on Intel without having a full install of Windows and running an actual virtual machine. Um, Wine or crossover was a, a good way to do that. Um, yeah. Now, Code Weavers have said here they've got it running on Apple Silicon and it appears to be working pretty well. And because of the power of Apple Silicon, it's running amazingly fast. Um, and the CEO of Code Weavers has said that, that the version of um, crossover they're using is not yet built for M1. So they're emulating. <laughs> They're emulating the crossover software, which is then handling the Windows software, and they're still getting speeds equivalent to, um, you know, running on Intel or better. So yeah, that yeah. is a bit mind-boggling, isn't it? <laughs> but that's also I'm I'm saying that also seems to hold out hope that um, even if we don't, you know, even if for some reason uh, Microsoft decides to say no, you can't have a full build of Windows. That doesn't mean that we won't be able to run, you know, um, Windows apps. Windows software. I always thought crossover was a bit strange, not not because it didn't work, because it did, it does, um, but it just feels really weird having Windows Windows pop yes. pop up on your Mac. Yes, I know. <laughs> it just um, feels wrong. <laughs> there, there's a mode in you can use in Parallels, which does a very similar thing. Yeah, where, they, yeah. What do they call that? Um, coherence. Mode, coherence coherence that was it coherence yeah. mode, my favorite mode actually i like where, it like where the yeah the, the the like you don't actually see the windows desktop as it were you just see the apps which is that's a right bit, a yeah. bit it's disconcerting i find I, I i prefer to have my virtual machine as a, like here's my little box with windows in it and then i'll run all my windows apps in that thank you very much so i know where i am see i like it the other i like it the other way i like i like not seeing windows there you go. So like Mac desktop, and you know, it's just a program. Okay, great. Yeah. You know, there's there's IE, there's you know, Edge for for Windows. You know, just a in a window. Fair enough. Each to their own. Yeah. Well, and you know, they work equally well. I mean, it's only a Mac. They do. Uh, so there we go. Um, what else have we got? Um. So there we go. Code Weavers says that, um, you know, they've got crossover working on the M1 and it's not yet optimized and yet it's still working. And even the CEO That's of Code Weavers. Yes. Yes. As he said, it's not perfect. Running. He says it's not perfect, but even he is blown away. So that's that's pretty special. Um, it is. Apple have embraced iOS 14 home screen customization. Uh, by altering the way how uh, app shortcuts work uh, from TechCrunch. And I think this is in the um, the beta for 14.3. Um, effectively, you know how if you do this customization using shortcuts, so you, you tap on your custom icon and the shortcuts app loads and then disappears and launches the the app that it links to. Apparently, that's not going to happen anymore. So... Even though it will use shortcuts, shortcuts won't actually kind of come up and go away and then the app launch, which means... Oh, I see. So they're just making it more seamless. Yes. So that um, your customized app using a shortcut should effectively just shortcut you directly to the app you're pointing to. It'd be like changing your icon on your Mac. Yes. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it will. That's good. Um, so apparently they've taken to doing that. Um Apparently, uh, some 
iPhone 12 models um, are suffering with screen issues, um, display issues, where they're getting a green tint, apparently. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, report on that at 9to5Mac. And Apple have suggested that the display issue with the iPhone 12 may be solved by an iOS update. Um, and I believe that since that was posted, um, Apple have released 14.2.1, which apparently is only available if you have um, an iPhone 12. So that may well contain bug fixes for the iPhone 12, obviously. Um, Either that or they're trying to turn your iPhone 12 into an early PC <laughs> with a green screen. <laughs> green screen. Green screen. Oh, dear. Or amber. <laughs> Who remembers amber screens? Did you ever, 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 ever use an amber screen? Well, it's like a green screen, except the phosphors were like a sort of orange-yellow colour rather than green. It used exactly the same my technology. Terminal, um, my terminal theme is the is the classic black on green, or green on black. Yeah. <laughs> cool, yeah. There we are. Um, so uh, um, Apple, apparently, cut App Store commission. Yes, that is... That is skipped still... over that one. Well, I was going to skip over all those other ones which didn't really add up to very much um, before we went into ah, right. the next okay. big story, um, which is, yes, um, Apple have suddenly and unexpectedly cut the App Store commission rate from 30% to 15% for developers who uh, earn less than $1 million per year from the App Store. Um, and according to the article... Oh, that's... that's quite a lot of... I would imagine, a, imagine that's quite a lot of developers. <laughs> apparently, that's that's apparently yeah, ninety ninety eight percent of developers earn less than yeah, yeah. one million. So that's ninety eight percent of developers will now only have to pay fifteen percent um, commission uh, from day one, and this will start. Apparently, you have to sign up for it though. It's not an opt. Uh, it's an opt in thing. So well, if I'm you're sure a small developer, well. <laughs> why wouldn't you opt in? <laughs> uh, sorry, Donny. Uh, I said, why wouldn't you opt in? I mean, well, no, I know. You think I Apple to, to, doesn't just, have enough money. I, su <laughs> I assume maybe that's so that, you know, if you've got people who've got these, you know, apps that haven't been updated in years and they're effectively abandoned. That's that, true. Oh, yeah. That, yeah you know, they, yeah. they're just like, well, if you don't bother to sign up, you don't get you don't get the treatment. You know, they're just zombified apps. And um, So um, Apple giving way to pressure, question mark? I don't know, but it's certainly a good PR move, isn't it? Without a doubt. I've had apps. I have had apps in the app store, and I'm, I wouldn't complain about this, but um, I think it'd be a bigger move to cut the developer fee from either $100 to 50 or just eliminate that altogether. Um, hmm. I made the decision this year that it wasn't worth worth it to keep the apps the the sticker apps i've had in the store going so i didn't renew my developer um account this year i might redo it in the future but um a lot of people that i think there could be a lot more apps in the store if people didn't have to pay a hundred dollars a year to even submit them and have them considered you even you can't even test it on your device without paying a hundred dollars would would apple want that though i think part of the reason for the hundred dollar E is so that you don't just have fly-by-night developers or developers that are generating just apps that, yeah, that could be aren't useful or just i mean there there already is even at the hundred dollar level there's i mean look the app store there's a lot of uh, sorry for the terminology here but crapware yeah in there 
Yeah, yeah there's true. a lot of garbage apps in there. Still yeah, I suppose by doing away with it altogether, you could end up with even more. Exactly. That's what I mean. You yeah. can have a lot of people just experimenting, you know, just like throwing stuff at the wall and not being really serious about it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, they yeah, have the app review, pro review process for that, I guess. But Or maybe say, okay, there's a have it tiered almost. Say a free count, you can submit up to five apps a year and $50, maybe 10 apps a year, and then $100 unlimited or something like that, kind of just to get people let people wet get their feet wet and actually um see if it's worth them doing and like i said mm -hmm. I, you can't even test the app on your device without paying for right. the license uh, yeah. that's quite i think that's quite a good idea i'm just writing dear tim <laughs> <laughs> yeah dear tim dear tim a uh, hundred dollars a year seems pretty cheap to me i, I don't know maybe it's i'm wrong cheap, but if you're not making that hundred dollars back it's not cheap if well, it's so like a I hobby for you yeah, well, I think that's what Apple's trying to, to potentially avoid. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Adam. Um, it's, it's good that they're reducing any of the prices, in all honesty. I, sure. I, you, I, I was on last week talking about how it drives me mad the way that Apple Pat charged so much for their um, upgrades, fairly small upgrades like 8 gig of RAM <laughs> and things right. like that. But uh, so, you know, any, any reduction is good in my book. <laughs> But there, on the other hand, there's no fee if you want to submit books to the bookstore. Oh, right. Books, books are a different monster, but but and it's a different right. market. But still, there's no fee to they can have and the books still go under a review because I have several children's books in the bookstore. Yeah, I get your point, but I mean, it, like, I'm sure Apple has had conversations or thought about like, hey, you know, thirty percent of that Joe yeah, Rogan money. Well, we could also, could also argue um, <laughs> if you have a free app in the app store, why do you have to pay the hundred dollar fee? Right. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? I, I, I'm I've always assumed because hundred dollars isn't a lot, but as you say, if it's just because you're it's a hobby, it it's quite a bit. But I've always assumed it's there as a mild deterrent to stop people just bombarding Apple with right. things that yeah, they're which just is thrown what, together. So, yeah, which know. is what Adam was saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, that, that every teenage kid who's made a calculator app, you know, sending it in would be a bit of a pain in the backside from Apple's point of view. Um, yeah, I don't it just know. It creates a lot of clutter. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think I think they probably feel like if if you aren't able to earn back the hundred dollars in revenue a year, then it's probably a good cleansing mechanism, right? And fortunately, you know, I don't say that to be mean. I, I get that a lot of people would like to have stuff in the app store, and it it is a deterrent. But at the end of the day, too, is the app store from Apple's perspective is designed as a revenue generator. Yeah, I, I yes. think, and it was absolutely. from the beginning. I yeah. think also. Um... Some of some of the thing here here is you know Apple made a big thing out of stickers and sticker packs and things that you, like that that you could use with Message, but like so many of those things, they rapidly just forgot about it, and you know, it was like, yeah, okay. Uh, but, and I mean, there are there are occasions, aren't there, where I mean, I I have an idea for a, a, a an app that I think churches would find useful, mm -hmm. um, but I don't expect to make any money out of it. In which case, I'm paying a hundred dollars a year for everyone else to have my idea. Sure. Um, but uh, and, and and in those cases, I can see people saying, "Oh, maybe I won't bother buying paying the hundred, and I will just forget about it." Um, but I suppose deep down, I wouldn't wouldn't bother me that much having to pay the hundred dollars. 
if I thought it was going to be used, and you know, it was yeah. it was a, a good thing. So I'm torn both ways. I don't like spending money when I don't have to. But <laughs> no, I guess you could pay, you could Patreon your app out, outside of it, right? And see if people. Oh could... yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. there are other avenues, especially if it was yeah. especially if it was something like like that, like where there was benefit out of it. You know, like shareware yeah, back yeah. in the old days. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so there are there are ways around it. Hey, what but, you want? So... You just have to would have to do it outside the app store. Yeah. Which Apple wouldn't let you talk about inside the app. Of course no, you not. Talk no. about inside the app. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Indeed. There we are. Um, that's going to be... Uh, and also, I've got one here. It says, you know, Apple M1 Mac reviews, uh, impressive performance and battery life, iOS apps, a mixed bag. Um, several people have said that's really a bit of a beta at the minute, almost a, you know, almost a gimmick. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm not really surprised, to be honest, whether... Whether iOS apps will, you know, really become a thing on the Mac, I can see some that would. I can see, I can see almost direct ports of some um, iPad apps. Yeah, working. some things are, but I mean, um, I'm not, I'm not sure about iPhone apps really because hmm. they are specifically designed for phones, aren't they? But I, there are some things that I, I think just will. Like, um, I've heard that somebody said that over, you know, Marco Arment, who, uh, by the way. Uh, I'm sure he's not listening, but get get well soon, Marco, because uh, those of you who don't know, Marco has got the COVID. Oh, dear. Yes. Poor, um, poor fella. Yeah. And um, on the uh, APT, he was saying, you know, um, would appear my risk assessment for, you know, how safe I was being was um, incorrect. And I have been infected with the COVID. Um, oh, I don't think nice. he's terribly ill because he was on the APT. So, you know, he hasn't been carted off to a ventilator or anything, but um, he's definitely... No, no, it's unpleasant one way or another. He's slightly uh, I mean, unwell. Unless, you, unless you're lucky enough to get with no no symptoms at all. Mm. Um, I think I think it can still knock you about a bit, even if you're, yes. you know, fit, yeah, and, fit and healthy. It's still, um, you know, it, it's still... Uh, for most people, it's, it's still, you know, like having a very bad cold or a... Or a flu, so it's flu. Know, yeah, not a joke uh, for most people. Um, even if you don't get really sick, um, so there we are. So get better soon, Marco. Um, yeah. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Microsoft's latest Windows. So you were talking about. Sorry, you were talking about the apps. I don't know if we're. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, on. I was. Um, <laughs> Marco. Just that's one what. Comment, one comment. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sorry, went off at a tangent. Um. Somebody said that uh, Marco has, you know, built um, uh, an Apple Silicon version of uh, Overcast, um, uh-huh. and that works really nicely on the Mac. And now that's the sort of app that I could see because, you know, I use Overcast and I mostly listen to my podcasts on my phone and I like Overcast. Um, and when I'm on my Mac, I really like grumble that I don't have Overcast. And if, you know, if there's not going to be an overcast for Mac, but overcast for iOS will run on my M1 Mac, then why would I not want it? You know? Um, yeah. But that's a, it's not a very interactive app, is it? You know, right. no, no. Op- operating, yeah, a little player app. you know, operating overcast with a mouse uh, would, would be easy because basically it's a list of things and you tap and you tap play or pause or jump forward or back 30 seconds or whatever. Um, an awful lot of things that people are saying, oh, wouldn't it be great if you had Temple Run on your Mac? And I can't see how that's going to work. 
to be honest. If you haven't got touch, it's not going to work, is it? It's just, just you know. Yeah, so that's where my comment was going to be is where this is backfiring, I think, a little bit for Apple is uh, media and tech media is using um, this feature as the example of, well, why heck, why the heck, Apple, aren't you doing a touchscreen Mac? Because that solves all this, this <laughs> issue, right? These apps yeah. become usable when you have a, or more usable, at least when you have an actual touchscreen. So, mm-hmm. um, and I just don't see Apple ever doing it, which is why this thing feels kludgy though. You know, it's just like the interfaces aren't going to be designed or built by, by design mm. uh, for a Mac in for the, Mac. No. the majority of the cases. Yeah, I mean, it was very much of a, oh, and by the way, your 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 iOS apps will work on it as well. I mean, it, it wasn't really a sort of main feature that they brought out, was it? It was a, yeah, th- these will probably work too. And like... developers have to opt in, which is a good which is a good thing, I think, because a lot of them are opting out because they know the yeah the, the experience, experience will be horrible, be garbage, <laughs> yeah, garbage, and they'll yeah. just get a lot of customer service calls. They, emails. That's true. Why is, why, why is your app so horrible on my Macintosh? Because I never made it for the Macintosh. So, yeah, a lot of people right. are indeed <laughs> opting out. Um, <laughs> and if I want to be, build an app, you know, a Macintosh version, I'll either make a Catalyst app, which at least, you know, Mac OS buys it, or um, I'll build a Mac app, you know, a Mac app. Um, so, yeah, I think that it almost seems like a gimmick to some extent. Yeah. But, of course, yeah. As somebody said on um, something else, might might have been on um, Day, Mac Daily Observations, Kelly or somebody said, but Apple are also in a bind there because if they didn't say it, people would be going, well, it's the same processor architecture, so why can't you run iOS apps and start hacking yeah. them on there anyway? Um, it's a parlor trick. I mean, Apple likes to do parlor tricks every once in a while. Yeah. Things that can show off you know, the technology. So it's the thing, it's the thing your, your buddy comes over and you're like, look at this. Yeah. Here's my iOS app running um, on my thing. And that's about it. I think most, uh, and I think most, most companies that feel that they need a Mac app as well, probably have already done that. Yeah. Um, yeah. They might have a touch interface, whatever, but if, if they feel they need something to back it up on the Mac, well then they'll probably already have a Mac app that. Uh, yeah. So they I would need so, to run the iPad one. It does change the thinking a little bit too, though. If you if you're developing an an iOS app now, moving forward, it might be something that you think about and go, "Well, maybe I can write one app that will function well enough on both, or I can build in the I can build in the mechanisms that it'll run as a Mac app, and it's less development effort." So, I think moving forward, it's it's a good move. I think just for historic apps that were already built for just touch. Um, it's a different story, right? Yeah. Well, I, what it reminds me of to some extent was when, um, you know, the Mac went over to Intel. And I've said this before. I, I think it might have been Mac User Magazine said something al- along the lines of the Linux geeks are coming to Macintosh. Um, and they did. And at first, um, you would have to hack you know, uh, the Linux apps onto your Mac using Homebrew or... Um, installing, you know, the X11 environment. X11, yeah. Um, and you could run them, but they felt alien, they looked alien, and they, you know, behaved in slightly alien ways. But it did mean if you wanted to, you could get Inkscape or, uh, you know, whatever uh, on the Mac. Yeah. But the ones that um, 
the ones that people actually wanted, like Inkscape and uh, GIMP and, and various other things, in no time flat, you know, their communities were building Mac native builds. So, you know, you could see that kind of thing happening, I guess. Like you were saying, Adam, that if you're developing an app now, you might think, well, for a little bit more work, I can add the tools needed to make it run nicely on the Mac and increase my market. So, right. I it I think it will be one of two things that that whole iOS on Mac it will either go that way and it will encourage people to think about building Mac apps as well or it will be like Launchpad or or something yeah, else exactly. you know or, or the widget screen you know the dashboard and it will just wither and die because nobody will bother with it and after several years Apple will just like never mention it again and it, it won't be like necessarily removed. It just nobody will care. Um, it makes dock. me wonder. It's open dock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It makes me wonder though whether there's a market for um, apps that need two bits to them. So, for instance, um, so here's an example. If you have a, an informational app on your phone, on your phone or your tablet, um which runs from a database might be a nice idea to have a little bit of code that actually runs natively on the mac that manages your database but it's all part of the same app as it were yes but one bit runs on the mac and one bit runs on the on the iphone as it were i mean i know these are not the same sort of thing but you know when ios apps first started to be uh, a thing you know what was it ios 3 or something like that there were quite a lot of apps that came out where it would be, you know, use your iPhone as a touchpad for your Mac when, you know, touchpads weren't really a yes. huge thing. Yeah. Right, right, and, right. Yeah. and you would install, a, 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 you know, a thing on your on your um, phone and then you would install another little thing on your Mac. And then when you opened the app um, on your phone, it would talk to the app on your mac and let you use your your phone as a touchpad um yeah. and in fact we were talking well, about it's a little what... bit like a uh, little bit like um uh, uh, camera stuff where you yeah can, yeah uh, there's one there's one i that you can, you can use when streaming i can't remember what it's called um where you basically plug it into your streaming software so that you can use your iphone as a camera for that yeah. kind of thing so you know there may be avenues where it becomes useful um I don't know. I think it's too early to tell, really. It, it will either take yeah. off in ways, you know, developers will use it in ways we haven't thought of yet, or it will just wither but, away. But as an definitely, definitely not every iOS app. No, no. <laughs> that would be a disaster. I mean, well, the other thing is there are a whole load of um, sensors, aren't there, inside, um, you know, iOS devices that Macs don't have, you know, accelerometers. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and, yeah. Um, you know, they have accelerometers and um, GPS trackers and um, gyroscopes and all sorts of things that Macs just don't have. So apps that use that sort of thing, no use whatsoever. Um, there we go. Right. Well, we've been going a fair while, chaps. Um, I've got a little piece here from Forbes. Um, Microsoft's latest Windows 10 win comes from an unlikely source, Apple. Um not a very long piece, but uh, basically the author is is saying that, you know, um, as we were saying earlier, uh, 
Microsoft do have some ARM-based products which run their version of Windows on ARM, um, but they never really went all in on it. Um, and, for example, they said, well, you know, Adobe uh, were at the launch of the Surface Pro X, but it's pretty much taken them until now to put out an ARM-compatible uh, build of Photoshop. <laughs> you know, uh, Apple announced, uh, you know, uh, a Mac on ARM, and a week later, they're putting out a Photoshop beta. Um, and mm. Mm, what yeah. what he's positing is that if that makes um, app developers build for ARM, maybe that will give, you know, Windows on ARM a boost as well, because they will be lifted by the same tide, as it were. Don't know, you know, don't know what we think about that, but I, I've always said the problem with Windows on ARM is, you know, Microsoft didn't really put any oomph behind it. They kind of made it and went, here you are. Uh, right, there you go. Get on with it. Yeah. It's going to depend on, um, you know, Apple's ARM isn't just straight No, it's ARM. not. It's a little it's bit different. Not. There's a couple different licenses, and I forget the nuances of it, but um, they license i think just the instruction sets but then they sort of build their own processors and yeah stuff they on top of um that, so. there are there are different licenses and we've looked at this before on on this there's a there's a license you can buy which allows you to basically just you know get the blueprints for a stock um arm processor so you can say mm -hmm. right you know give us the instructions we'll go away and we'll fab this thing and use it in our android phone or our, whatever we want to do with it um, and then there's this sort of fully blown IP um, license, which is what Apple have, of course, which gives you all the information you need to know. And then you can go away and build your own silicon, um, right. which is, what, so, you know, the, the Apple silicon is that's why it's not well, they're not calling it ARM, really, because it's it's not ARM in the same way as something like the, you know, the um, was it dragonflies right. and, and whatever. Um, yeah, so the question then becomes, does this make it easier for a developer developing an app for, say, Apple Silicon to tweak or modify that app to also run on other variants of ARM processors? Um, and if that process is easy, then I would totally agree with this, you know, that that's going to help lift up the other platforms that are doing ARM. Um, I'd be surprised to find out that that effort is minimal. Obviously, Adobe is a large company, so they had, it, you know, even if it's a medium level of effort, um, that's going to be better for them than, you know, having to write for multiple platforms. So I think in this instance, that's probably exactly what happened was like, well, we're developing for Apple's thing, so we can translate this over to uh, Windows on ARM. Great. Uh, the question then becomes how much effort, how much effort yes. was involved with that? And if it's yeah. if it's really minimal, then yeah, I think you're going to see a huge benefit um, to ARM for Windows. If it's a higher level, it's probably going to be reserved for the guys that have bigger bigger resources and bigger deeper pockets. But even if that's true, Adam, I, I guess that could still lift Windows on ARM considerably oh, because if you can get I don't know, let's say yeah, Photoshop or Premiere or I don't know you know, um, affinity. I mean, if, um, you know, Serif, um, Ash was on the, you know, on the thing saying, well, we did this in like a day and now we've released M1 compatible builds of the affinity suite. Now they're a cross-platform app anyway. So, I mean, they're a small team. 
I know because we've had Ash on the show and he says there's about 14 of them. But if they could then build, you know, an affinity suite for ARM by modding the Apple one, I'm sure they will because mm-hmm. why would they not? But if even if you can only get bigger apps, if it's not smaller apps, that's still going to help people decide that maybe I will buy a Surface Pro X because I can get Photoshop or, or you know, whatever. I don't know. It, as you say, again, it all depends. How big a fork is it from Apple Silicon to a bulk standard ARM chip? There we are. Yep. Um, what else have we got? Um, NordVPN um, have put out the most common passwords of 2020. The usual list of atrocities, people. Don't do that. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, and um, password, password, password one, you know, all that stuff. No, don't do that. Um, <laughs> they've got a list of, I think it's 200 of the most common passwords. Um, and obviously, yes, they are pushing their own password manager. Of course they are. But, um, you know, their sound advice really is, even if you don't use our password manager, use a password manager. <laughs> if you decide to use Anyone one of our competitors, it's better than... I better can't than believe people. the number of people who just use numbers. There's not yeah. a lot of people who just use numbers. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, one, it, two, it's three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. yeah. It, <laughs> is, there, is there one that jumps out as surprising or unusual or different? Or is they, they just all the... Um, suspects. Let's have a quick look here. I mean, there's two hundred. Has anybody uh, gotten somewhat clever, or is it just there's a <laughs> million, million two? Why, why would that be in oh. the top? That's top number fourteen. Million, million. just to the word million, million in words, and then the number two. Why not million one? Yeah, I don't. Well, know. I guess because people keep telling you don't put one on the end of your password and think that makes it strong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it could be. There's also yeah, number some... fifteen is zero 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 zero. Yeah, I mean there are um, there's some good tips on there. Oh, I think how that's, to that's an iPhone. Password. I've seen people use that on their iPhone password because that is that six zeros. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Six zeros. Uh, oh, oh, that dear. that's definitely from like uh, an iPhone because you have to have six, right? Yep. So you do now. I mean, but you can do four. Can you still do four? I, th- I, I think they default is that. six, right? Yeah, you can. You're right. You can do four. You have to change the setting. Hmm. I mean, I always put mine on um, complex uh, anyway, and have an actual complex password on my on my me iPhone. Too. Of, of course, but but your but your mom might not. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Doesn't want to yeah. be bothered with it. So um, well, you, they just... walk you through that wizard, and you're like, okay, find zero 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 zero. Fine. Yeah. I'm just I, st- I still use I still memory. use numbers on my iPhone, but I don't use sequential numbers <laughs> which seems a bit silly really i know somebody who goes straight down the middle of the keypad there you go yeah yeah patterns are always yes are anything always anything to make it do. easier to remember i mean i can oh, understand why people do it oh yeah I mean, i'm just looking yeah. in here. just uh, know the fbi will, will get right in there when they need to <laughs> <laughs> that's right amazingly um no i'm not you'll be pleased to say say that uh that none of my passwords are in here. So yes, exactly. <laughs> I feel safe again, at least for five minutes. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to see if there's anything in here that makes me. Um, I mean, the variations on password are unbelievable. <laughs> Numerous. Yeah. <laughs> I like number 182. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I, I had a friend. Um, 
whose password was, uh, and it won't matter now because she's dead, unfortunately. She The COVID killed her. But um, she used to have a password which was, there isn't one. Uh, <laughs> just, just, um, and I think that, it, yeah, it was like, there isn't, with an apostrophe, and then one on the end. Um, so it wasn't as terrible as it might seem, but it was, uh, uh, and I think... I have she, uh, yeah, my... My Wi-Fi password is a very long phrase. Yes. It's a bit of a pain if I have to type it into the blooming Apple TV, but uh, <laughs> um, but it is just a very long phrase, and I haven't tried to be clever. Um, sadly, Virgin Media made me um, made me uh, change it so it had to have a capital letter and and a number. Otherwise, I was just leaving it as characters because it was just really long. Yeah, <laughs> and I could type it really quickly. That's that's usually fine as long as it's some sort of nonsense uh, phrase that isn't where things don't day to day speak go together. Yeah. But if it's a common if it's a common phrase you would find in a book or in some sort of media, then that's you know really not great. But yeah, but even I mean, even the then, if it's is... really long, even then if it's really long, as most hacking is done via um, brute, brute force, yeah, right. Exactly. You're protecting yourself if it's, you know, or to, I, th- I can't remember how many characters it is. It's something like about 30 odd. It's, it's sure. long. <laughs> long, very long. But they'll use lookup things and, you know, like they'll run through the works of Shakespeare, you know. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Run the program into it. So it just ends up getting quicker. So, uh, the classic go. one is just like four, four nonsense words with some concatenating characters. And yes. Yes. My, my, I think probably my most secure one is my, um, is my uh, my Apple ones are the ones that I take a bit of effort over. I can remember them easily, but they are quite difficult to. Yep. <laughs> to I, I barely have to think hard. I barely it. know any of my passwords now. I'll be honest. Not even right. my Apple ID because I just use LastPass, and I pretty much you know I went right, through. I use LastPass for everything, but not my Apple ID. Well, that's yeah. fair enough. But I, you know, I just I don't anymore. I just use either the iCloud keychain generator or the last pass generator which the other one pops up first and um let the keychain and uh last pass take care of it so <laughs> you can torture me all you like password. i don't know the bloody password yeah <laughs> 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 there we go um oh okay so before we wrap up then chaps two i've got a couple of uh tips here um a new site called isapplesiliconready.com um which is a listing of you know all sorts of apps showing whether it will run on your m1 um in in, you know with rosetta 2 or if it's been um optimized for apple silicon itself and a bit like the old roaring apps uh, which is still going by the way roaringapps.com it will um show you a huge database of um of apps and whether they are that's cool um ready or not for apple silicon i'm getting an an error from that page saying safari can't open the page because it can't establish a secure connection at the server oh that's working for me maybe just i hit me again um for example i did just at random here sketch apple silicon optimized works in rosetta 2 um that's strange I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Oh, you can also uh, select how many. You can have all the apps in an endless scrolling list if you like. If you go to the bottom and select that. Um, so those of you who use Quicken, um, Quicken is okay for um, 
is okay for silicon and uh, Rosetta as long as you're on version 6.0 or higher. There we go. And there's just pages and pages of this stuff. Um, at the moment, there's 151 apps listed, but basically I believe you can continue. You can just report things there that you know are working or not working. So uh, it might be worth bookmarking if you're, you know, on the yeah. M1 gravy train, as it were. Mine's coming tomorrow. Mine's coming tomorrow. Ooh. <laughs> Exciting. Ooh. Yeah. So, Jolly good. Um, and another... So when you call in sick to work, you'll know why. Hey? I said when you call in sick to work... Well, I'm not working. I've been made redundant, Donny. Donny. <laughs> I'm currently without <laughs> employment. I've been oh, cast great. off. <laughs> That's partly how I pay Shall for we, it, mate. He'll be waiting excitedly on his doorstep for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's partly how I paid for it. They had to give me a payoff for my years of service. Um, that's how come I got the money. Otherwise, I'd have been crying, going, I really want one and I have no pennies. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, my other, uh, you know, uh, worth a chirp is Jason Snell's podcast, 20 Max for 2020. Um, which is on Relay FM uh, slash 20 Max, um, where he is literally picking out 20 notable Macs through history. Um, and the podcasts are about 20 minutes long. Um, and if you've been a Mac user for a long time, um, and the longer the better, really, because he goes way, way back. Um, and he talks for about 20 minutes about the relevance or notability of certain Macs. And as he said, it's not the best Macs, not the most popular Macs or whatever, it's notable. So, for example, um, there's some some that are in there because they were notable bombs and died horribly, like the PowerBook <laughs> 500, which was a total disaster. There we go. Um, there we are. Oh, I think that's about it, chaps, don't you? I think we've done enough for a show. So um, I think it is. I think it is. We'll, we'll wrap it up. So, um, Adam, what we do here is we... Uh, get you to shill yourself uh, as much as you would like and uh sure take it away well mine's pretty easy uh i do the maccast podcast which you can find on your favorite podcast app uh, wherever podcasts are sold or given away as it were uh also you can uh, check out my website which is just maccast.com and if you need to find me on whatever your preferred social media platform is i'm pretty much on all of them uh and it's maccast on those platforms so that's it easy 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 peasy one to do yep excellent um nick uh yeah as uh, usual uh, you can find me very occasionally on twitter um i'm spligosh s-p-l-i-g-o-s-h and uh occasionally over on bots let's talk apple indeed there we go uh, Donny, have you got anything new to tell us this week? I see nothing new this week. Um, R-T-T-E-A-C-H-R on Twitter and all the usual links are in the show notes, including um, the classes that I teach on outschool.com and um, books, etc. Yep. Uh, Leo, the Lonely Guitar um, and various other places. You can go like Tea Republic where you uh, sell some T-shirt designs and so on. There we go. Right. Um, all those are in the show notes, of course. Um, as you all know, you can find me on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Um, all of our stuff is over uh, on EssentialApple.com. Um, 
And that's probably pretty much it. We do have an Amazon affiliate link. Um, so if you want to chuck us a few pennies when you do your Christmas shopping, go to the website, press the big red button. Yes, it is a big red button. I designed it that way. Um, and it will, you know, you can then go to uh, Amazon and do your shopping. It costs you nothing and we get a few pennies kickback. Um uh, thank you to everybody, of course, for all the usual things. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the people who retweet us. Thank you for the people who support us, financially or otherwise. And uh, I think with that, we're all going to say goodbye. Next week is show number 200. Not the 200th show, because we've had extras and bonuses and missed weeks and all sorts of things. But it is show number 200, and uh, we will be having a special guest for that. Uh, tune in to find out who it is next week. But uh, until then, I think we'll all say goodbye. See you later, gang. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar, where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Some people like their live casts to be informative, to the point, provocative, and timely. The Mac to the Future livecast is some of those things, but we won't say which ones. Join Dave Ginsberg, Guy Searle, and Warren Sklar for a weekly dose of Apple Fun every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over on Facebook or in the Mac to the Future Facebook group. Bye.